episode 262 of Monster Kid Radio with a song from the band The Wave Chargers. This is from their Surf Outtakes free download over on their Bandcamp page. The song is called Squad Car Surf Bound Havanagila, and you can find it at thewavechargers.bandcamp.com. Of course, you can also find them on Facebook at The Wave Chargers. Or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. The podcast for, well, Monster Kid Radio. The podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. How's everybody doing? All right, this week on the show, we have somebody coming back to the podcast who hasn't been on in a while. I actually had an opportunity to chat with him last year when I went to the 2014 Rose City Comic Con. Now, this episode went out in September. It was episode 237. And in this episode, I talked to a handful of people. One of them was comic book artist Tad Kalusha. Now, Tad is back for this episode of Monster Kid Radio. And we're going to talk about a movie that came out on Blu-ray earlier this year. We're going to be talking about The Phantom from 10,000 Leagues from 1955. Yeah, that movie. Well, it came out on Blu-ray for some reason or other earlier this year, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about this film on the show, and Tad was on board. So that's what's going to happen in this episode of the podcast. Before I get to that, though, I have an email from Diana in New Jersey. I want to read this real quick. Hi, Derek. Just wanted to take a moment and tell you how much I'm still enjoying your show. I've fallen a little behind in listening to podcasts, so I'm currently listening to the Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster episode. I really need to go back and rewatch some Godzilla. But I've been a little busy with writing, so I'll get caught up eventually. Put you on in the car today on the way to work, and your voice instantly brought a smile to my face. Keep up the good work. Just wanted to let you know how much you're appreciated. Diana, thank you for listening to the show. And yeah, you got a little bit of catch up, but you know what? The podcasts, they're not going anywhere. Get them through iTunes, through the website, or go to our behind-the-scenes Libsyn page, which is monsterkidradio.libsyn.com. You can find all the episodes there. Anybody who wants to check out some of the older episodes. Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, that was a few weeks ago with Andy Campbell from Kaiju 101. That was a fun conversation. That's a fun movie with some fun music. And, you know, it's Godzilla. And the reason I wanted to read this email in this episode is because Tad just completed some artwork for a Godzilla comic book. He did the cover. I'm going to ask him about that. We're going to talk about the movie. We're going to talk a little bit about his artwork and how these movies inspire him, that sort of thing. That's all going to happen right after this. and Mothra in one of the most explosive action pictures ever to hit the screen. From the depths of the ocean comes the most terrifying horror of the deep. From within the mountain caves comes the dreaded monster Godzilla. the most titanic battle ever screened when the monster of the deep challenges the mighty Godzilla. Hey comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. 
Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing the windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine. There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. <laughs> Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. Hey, man, dig this real gone show for a crazy thriller. It's Monsters A-Go-Go. A horror thriller with the Go-Go Beat, live on stage from Hollywood. See the Teenage Frankenstein. See. Help. I need somebody. Help. The Beatles mystically transformed. See. Hollywood's golden Go-Go girl, Pat Collins. See. Ethereal materialization of 007 as James Bond. It's the kookiest and the spookiest. It's where the action is. See? Monsters a go go. Terror walks off the stage and into the audience. Free. Two for one pass to anyone who can sit through the entire show. And it's all live. This is the only show that gets away with murder. So come early and get a seat. If you're late, we may put you in a coffin. See? Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Monsters a go go. Monster Kid Radio listeners, I'm happy to have comic book artist Tad Galusha on the show. I met Tad at Rose City Comic Con last year. Tad, welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Derek. You know, I've got, and I need to frame it, I need to do something with it, but I've got here a print that I bought from him at Rose City Comic Con of the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's a really cool piece of artwork, and, you know, you've been firing on all cylinders. You've got something coming up, Godzilla-wise. I mean, you love these monster movies, so I had to have you on the show. Oh, man. Yeah, I was happy to be here. I'm, like I said, over the moon to be doing this. Thanks on the Gill Man. I'm that's one of my uh, my favorite pieces that I've done. Oh, I love it. I love it. I can't get enough Gilman, though. <laughs> yeah, Gilman's the best. I need to uh, probably draw Gilman a bit more. You know, the world needs more Gilman, period. So any any extra Gilman, you can put it into the world. I, I'm on board with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on the podcast, on Monster Kid Radio, we have a game that we play to kind of introduce new guests to the listeners. You've never really been on the show for a full episode and i thought we'd play the game with you it's called the classic five 
I've got a deck of okay. cards here that I started shuffling. Before we started recording, it's, I don't know, probably good, maybe 100 questions or so about classic monster movies. Yes or no questions, this or that, that style of thing. And we were talking okay. off mic to kind of warm up our vocal cords, and something came up. And I wanted to hold on that because it's actually the first card that I drew for you. The, the question is, what is your go-to film to introduce someone to classic monster movies? My go-to film to introduce people to classic monster movies would have to be the 1933 King Kong. That was pretty much my, my gateway monster. Once I saw that film, I can't even remember how old I was, probably maybe six, seven. When I saw that, it just blew my mind. And it was one of those where it's like, what, they make movies like this? I had no idea. And then, you know, after that, it was just a cascade of all the universal monsters and then uh, all their knockoff, all the knockoff films, Whoa. you know, that spawned off of that. Yeah, we're getting a little far ahead sorry, there. Sorry. Well, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. King Kong's a good one, man. King Kong's a good one. You can't beat the Kong. That's true. That's true. All right. Card number two, the Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits? A younger, a younger me would have gone with the Outer Limits just because... It was more of that monster of the week. But uh, the older, more sophisticated Tad would have to go with the Twilight Zone just because it's just master storytelling. I would urge anyone, if they've never seen it, to even watch it now. And even though it's black and white, it, it was done years ago, it still holds up. And in my opinion, is better than most of the stuff that's on television today. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. It's high praise. It's high praise. Rod Sterling's a master, though. Uh, yeah, a funny story. Rod Sterling, my grandfather knew him. I don't know the details. Oh, wow. I just know that occasionally they would have dinner together. Yeah, so that's my only, that's my one connection to the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> it's one up on me. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to, from Rod Sterling to card number three. It's quite a jump. Billy the Kid versus Dracula? Or Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Oh, uh, <laughs> gosh. I think I'm going to have to go with Frankenstein's daughter there. Yeah. Okay. That's all I got on that one. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, card number four. Favorite classic monster movie poster. Ooh, that's a tough one. Because there's so many of them where the poster itself is, you know, probably better than the film. Uh, <laughs> that's true. You know, I think I'm going to have to go with the Deadly Mantis. That is hands down probably one of my favorite posters. I always thought it was so cool. And then, you know, of course, I watched the movie, and the movie was great. But you know, as I got older, it didn't it didn't quite have the, the same type of awesomeness that I remember having when I was a kid. Not that it's still not that it's bad. It's still pretty good. Compared to some of the other sci-fi movies that were coming out of Universal at the time, though, I think things like, you know, Tarantula, right. Outshine, things like the Dental Mantis. So, yeah, no, I understand. No, it's a cool poster, though. Yeah. I do like that poster. If I had a copy of that poster, I'd have it up. I should get a copy of that. I don't know why I don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last, last card, last question. Okay. What prop from a classic monster movie would you like to own? Oh, that's easy. The Gill Man mask. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I would have the Gill Man mask. Yeah, that would be so awesome to have. I'm sure you could probably get a replica of it someplace, but mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be awesome to have the original Gilman mask. When it came to just like like costumes or prosthetics and stuff like that, the Gilman mask or just the Gilman outfit itself is is the best out of all the Universal monster movie or like the 
yeah, classic monsters. I thought that he had design wise was by far the best looking. When I was really young, I tried to get my mom for Halloween to make the suit. And I found a picture in a book and brought it to her and she just went, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll try. And you know, you know, she used cloth and stuff and made this like head to toe bodysuit. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty good. It was pretty good, you know, for my mom and her sewing machine. I mean, she kind of knocked it out of the park. That suit was the best. <sighs> to tell me there's a picture somewhere. There is. I know I have somewhere on my computer. I would nice. definitely send a picture. So listeners probably can guess why Tad and I get along because our, our mutual love for Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, the Gilman brings people together. He does. He does. He's more than a monster. You know, he's an ambassador. <laughs> an ambassador. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Now, now I'm envisioning like a UN with just nothing but monsters sitting around. Yeah, Gilman holding court. Yes. Yes. You know, for the Japan contingent, you have to have Godzilla, and that's something I want to ask you about, too, because in February, Sci-Fi Japan posted a comic book cover for Godzilla Oblivion number three. You did the artwork on that. I did. I did. Thank you for, uh, for bringing that up. I have been wanting to work on a classic monster in comics forever. And so I've been kind of pestering IDW for a while, bugging them, <laughs> emailing them all the time. And they finally were like, okay, hey, we want to do, uh, we got an opening. You want to do a Godzilla cover? And, uh, you know, I just was like, yes, of course. I didn't really know much about the story. So I had to do a whole series of layouts. I think Sci-Fi Japan, they kind of post the process if people want to go check it out. Um, I've also got it up on my website too. But uh, anyway, so I did all these layouts because I had no idea what the story was about or anything. And then they picked the one where King Ghidorah fighting Godzilla, which was like, oh, okay, was, yeah, awesome. And then they just kind of let me go and basically were like, create something cool looking. So I gave it my best shot and hopefully people will really like it. But yeah, it comes out in, I want to say May, I think. Yeah, May it comes out and uh, people can pick it up uh, at their local comic book shops. I'll make sure there's a link to the article over at Sci-Fi Japan in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net. And, yeah, listeners, he's right. He's got the entire process here, how he did the layouts and all of that. And it does say here May is when it will be coming out. It's a alternate cover, and it looks cool. Yeah. For me, it would be the primary cover because it just looks neat. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. That is a huge compliment. Yeah, no, Sci-Fi Japan was really awesome. At first, IDW hadn't put up an image for the cover or anything. So they sent me an email just asking if I had anything I could show them. And so I went, I went back to my editor and was kind of like, hey, uh, Sci-Fi Japan's interested in the cover that I did. Can we maybe do something with them to like highlight the, the book? And, you know, the editor was like, yeah, go for it. And so, uh, yeah, so we just kind of collaborated and worked at this little process piece. And uh, so people could, you know, give them a little bit more than just showing them just the, the end results. People, you know, people like that. It worked out pretty good. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And, you know, I could tell, talking to you now, I could tell when I talked to you at Rose City Comic Con, these classic monster movies mean an awful lot to you. And I, I can't help but imagine how they influence you as an artist. I'm so fortunate to be able to do what I do for a living now. And a lot of it, I think I owe to those classic monster movies. Because, you know, if you would have told me that there was a way you could <laughs> you know, make a living you know, drawing that type of stuff, I would have never believed you, especially as a kid like, what? No. 
but yeah, you know, and there's still a lot of interest in those type of genres, those monsters. If it weren't for just the ridiculous amount of hours I spent late at night in front of the television watching Joe Bob Briggs monster vision or something, I don't think I would be as obsessed with that type of stuff as I am. <laughs> it's a good obsession to have. It's a good, healthy obsession to have. It's a healthy obsession. It's a healthy obsession. Yeah. And, yes. you know, those classic monster movies are so, uh, they're so original and so fantastic that you even look at like the stuff they're doing now. And it's all kind of just, in my opinion, it's all just kind of building off of what they were, they were creating back then. Even like the comics, you know, you just have the classic monster stuff. It's just so fantastic. And there's just so much to build off of because even in the movies, you know, they didn't have a lot of room for extensive backstory or anything. And so you can take a lot of those things. Like I'm still waiting for them to do like a reboot of the creature from the black lagoon. I think now would be the time. Go for it. You could make a whole series, a whole trilogy. It'd be fantastic. Have you heard that that's what they're doing? Are, are you aware of the Universal reboot that's coming? I was kind of following it a few years ago. Okay. And there was a, a website that was up, I remember. I can't recall the name of it. But I remember they were posting, like, site locations. So they were really in those preliminary stages of the reboot. But then, I don't know what happened. It seems like I know they were writing some scripts. And then, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, then kind of everything got dropped. And so I'm still kind of waiting, <laughs> sure. <laughs> like hoping, hoping, praying to the movie gods that Gilman will will resurface. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so you know, and I, and I think some of our listeners know, Universal is working to reboot a combined, a shared universe movie thing, a la Ooh. Marvel. And the Mummy is going to be coming first with Tom Cruise in it. Oh, wow. Okay. And he's going to be the archaeologist type that interacts with the mummy. They just recently announced that Johnny Depp will be the Invisible Man. Oh, that'll be good. Oh, he'll knock that another part. And for a while, they were talking about Creature and Scarlett Johansson being the female lead in that. Now, that's not official. That's not been signed off on, but that was the rumor for a while. Okay. I can see that. So I got to ask you, would you want the Gill Man to be live action, you know, Stan Winston Studios effects? you know, like a man in a suit, or would you want it to be CGI? You know, for the tradition, I would love to see a man in suit, just because it's such a perfect design anyway. And I know they'd make changes to it to update it, but sure. it's it's such a perfect design as it is. I, I don't want to see it all CG'd up. I want to see, I want to know that it exists somewhere out there in the world for real. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know? no, I'm right there with you. There was this great artist. He worked on like, Swamp Thing and all this, all these other like horror comics back in the day named Bernie Wrightson. And if anybody mm -hmm. can track him down at a convention, he has a sketchbook just filled with monsters. And like half the sketchbook is like versions of, of the Gill Man. And it's just like taking the original design and then just kind of like adding steroids to it where like it gave him like this like alligator tail. It's almost like stages like a tadpole. It's one of those where I was like, man, if they do a Gilman movie, I hope, I hope somebody is looking at the old Bernie Wrightson illustrations of the Gilman because that would be the coolest looking thing ever. <laughs> that would be really cool. That would be really neat. There is a comic or a magazine that's no longer in print, uh, publication, but it was called From Parts Unknown. It was about Lucha Libri uh, wrestling and that sort of thing. And there was a pinup oh, okay. in there by Bernie Wrightson with a luchador 
grappling with the Gill Man. Oh, man. I'll try to find it online and make sure there's a link to that as well. And I'll send you a link. It's pretty cool. Oh, yes. Please do. That sounds amazing. I've just recently gotten into the all the Lucha Libre, like monster films, mm. you know, and all that stuff. Oh, that's so great. They're so great. I know. Keep listening to Monster Kid Radio. That's all I'm doing in May. It's nothing but luchador monster movies. I'm there. I'm totally <laughs> there. <laughs> that's going to be awesome. Oh, I can't wait. But yeah, I'll try to find a link to that too. It's pretty cool. And yeah, Bernie Wrightson is a master when it comes to comic book arts and, mo- and monsters specifically. I know a lot of people kind of downplay it, but he, years ago he did a four-issue Punisher miniseries for Marvel and he introduced a number of supernatural elements. And while the story, you know, isn't traditional Punisher, the artwork, specifically the covers, are gorgeous. Oh, yeah. He's the master. Uh, he's right up there. He's always in my top 10 when it comes to comic illustrators. I've got so many books of his that I'm always looking at. And his monsters, yeah. I mean, like, like his Swamp Thing stuff. You know, I, I mean, I I'm a, I like the Alan Moore storyline of Swamp Thing, but you can't beat that Bernie Wrightson stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so great to look at. And his Frankenstein. His Frankenstein's amazing. Yeah. His Frankenstein is just, I don't know how long it took him. My wife, a few years ago for my birthday, she found, it was like limited print, but it was all of the stuff that got cut out from the Frankenstein book. So was, he did all these illustrations that apparently they just were like, ah, oh, we're not going to use these. They, they don't fit. can't remember who published it. I want to say there was like 40, maybe 50 illustrations in there that they didn't use. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was like called like the Lost Frankenstein pages. I want to say a company called Apple Press was the one who published it. And it's just fantastic. Fantastic. Cause it just shows you all this other stuff. And, and some of them are like different versions of illustrations that they use. So it's like, it's like he finished it. They didn't like the layout and then they reapproached it from a completely different design. Um, it, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one of those masterpieces that. Anybody, whether you like comics or traditional literature, I highly recommend just just go out and buy it. It's amazing. It looks pretty neat. I'm looking at it right now. The Lost Frankenstein pages, you were right. Yeah, Apple uh, was a publisher. It came out in the early 90s, and it's now added to my wish list. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's fantastic. Obviously, people need to go out and buy the, the Frankenstein book. Hey, mm-hmm. Both of those books. That way. And Bernie writes, and have you ever had a chance to meet him? I've seen him from a distance years ago when I was a student. There was a convention like up in Baltimore that I ended up having to work. And so a buddy of mine, he was going and he ended up picking up like a bunch of sketchbooks and talking to Bernie writes in for stuff. So it was one of those where it was like, he came back and just kind of like reiterated like everything that Wrightson had said. And from what he told me, Wrightson is just like the most humble, wonderful person. So yeah, if anybody gets a chance to meet him, go go talk to him. Please. That's what I was going to say. He came to the HP Lovecraft Film Festival one year a few years ago, and I got a chance to chat with him, and he's just a super nice guy. So even though he creates these monstrous images, he's so chill and laid back. And listeners, if you get a chance to meet him, ask him about Frankenstein or the Gilman. That's right, yeah. You know, there's just something about all those old school comic artists. They're such awesome people when you meet them. Like, I got to kind of hang out with Starenko once. Oh. He was so cool. I mean, we didn't even talk about comics. He was kind of like killing time, and I was running some a booth. Um, again, this was back when I was in college, 
yeah, he just sat there and talked about this and that and magic and all that. But just the coolest guy. Super cool. Yeah, super approachable. I think most people didn't even know who he was. Yeah, it was just awesome. It was, yeah, it was such a great experience. I was, I'm very fortunate to get to meet a lot of these classic guys mm-hmm. that, got, that worked on a, a lot of the stuff that kind of like inspired me to want to be a comic book artist. <laughs> That's cool. To be able to, to meet your heroes and... and you know, express your thanks and just kind of hang out. I mean, that's, you know, they're all human and to have that experience, a positive experience, I'm sure just makes it even more exciting to be in the same industry with them. Yeah. It makes it, for me, it makes everything worth it. You know, it's one of those where you just, you walk away going, man, okay. All right. Let's, let's go draw some more pages. Let's go create, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so how do we go from Bernie Wrightson and, you know, Jim Steranko and classic monsters, Frankenstein, Gilman to the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues? How do we make that jump? <laughs> oh, let me see here. Um, well, <laughs> if you're a fan of the Gill Man and Godzilla and any other aquatic monster, you might be into this movie. <laughs> but don't hold your breath. There's a pun. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> no, it's enjoyable. It, you know, it's an enjoyable film. I wouldn't say it's executed with excellence. <laughs> But, you know, I remember when I saw it as a kid, I loved the fact that, hey, they didn't mess around. They got right to the monster. You know, you see in the opening scene, mm-hmm. you, there's the monster. Less I than mean, a minute. Less than a minute. And he's on screen. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's really no suspense. They no. <laughs> you know, there really isn't. This movie, the whole thing, there's no real sense of tension for me. Even though there's an exploding ship at one point and people are dying, right. there's just no sense of tension or menace in any of this. It's like they're all going through a stage play, a cool stage play that I want to see, but a yeah. community theater stage play style kind of, and not a good one, kind of just wandering you know, from scene to scene. Yeah, it was really weird. And then you have like these multiple factions and it seems like they're concerned, but they're not too concerned. <laughs> like, yeah, something's going on out there. Mm-hmm. I know. We should probably do something about it. And then, well, I'm going to go on this date first, then we'll do something about it. <laughs> you know, like the, the, the hero professor, he kind of gets torn between hanging out with this love interest and solving the, the riddle to the mystery, you know, what's out there? What's, what's tipping over rowboats? <laughs> And hugging people to death in the water. What is that? But first, I have to go on a date. Well, you know, priorities, man. Yeah, That's right, priorities. And and we're talking about our leading man here, uh, played by Kent Taylor. And, I mean, he looks like a 50s leading man. Oh, yeah. He's very suave, very suave, very good-looking man. I was kind of like, oh, okay, this is – he definitely, you know, fits the bill. And he wasn't necessarily a bad actor. Like, his delivery was what you would expect. Uh, I thought it just, it was one of those films where nothing really happened. It was just kind of random, random events. And they just kind of, it all centers around trying to get into the doctor's office. The, the, you know, the older, the old man, as they kept calling him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't awful. I've seen him do worse. I mean, I've seen him in things like the mighty Gorga, which is kind of a clunker. Kind of a clunker. Yeah. It's just, but, um, <laughs> You know, he's not bad. I think it's more about the material and the direction, you know, that sort of thing. But he, he yeah. carries the movie. He's got charisma. When he's there, you, you can't help but watch him. When he would give his deliveries, like I said, I mean, he, he did a good job. It wasn't that he was necessarily a bad actor. It was just one of those mm-hmm. movies where it just never really seemed like anything was happening. You know, we've got, oh, there's this big U-235 deposit out in the ocean, which, like you said, spoiler, everybody, it causes the, the ship to 
explode and mutates the monster. I think it's a little, I don't yeah. know. It's a, it's a little ambiguous. Like they, they kind of hint that the doctor, the old man doctor was making these creatures, but then the whole idea of the U-235, the uranium deposit out there in the ocean that was causing all of this craziness. Yeah, they never really addressed that, which if you're watching this movie, you're watching just to see the monster. I mean, that was why I watched it, but, sure. you know, years ago and even now, like, oh, there you go. And I will say this, I was impressed with the head of the monster. The mouth moved underwater. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, for you know, an independent film, that's pretty, that's pretty hard effect to, to get. Uh, that, that's pretty impressive. No, I thought the design of the monster itself, it wasn't awful. And I did like the head as well. I yeah. thought the execution of it moving around looked a little, well, clearly there's a man in a suit here. And it's not up to Gilman standards at all. But, you know, the head looked kind of cool. I'd have an action figure of that. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't move with the fluidity and the grace of the gill man by any means. I mean, this thing has the swimming ability of like an old log. It's, it's just kind of like floats towards people. But I thought it looked pretty cool. Um, it's just one of those where you're like, oh, it would be nicer if it could have moved a little quicker or if they would have, you know, maybe kind of built the scene a little bit better underwater where he was using, uh, his surprise tactics instead of just kind of like floating towards people. But, eh. I mean, hey, the monster got quite the body count for being slow moving. True. To give him that. Yeah, I think he what, he got like five people. Yeah, by the time the movie's over, there's five deaths. And I was trying to find out the name of the person who was in the suit, and I think it's an actress by the name of Norma Hansen. I don't know anything about oh, wow. Norma Hansen, but uh, so the internet says that's what I'm going to go with. Wow. Yeah, that's re- okay. Cool. That's really impressive. Wow. I would have expected it to be like some big dude because the suit itself looks really big. I mean, like when it would come up and yeah, definitely bulky. So the fact that she was able to move around underwater, that's, that's impressive. I couldn't do that. No way. No, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, overall I enjoyed the film and I would recommend people actually watching it. Don't go in expecting it to be this highbrow monster movie by any means. You know, it's got some great scenes, like interactions between, like, the secretary and the professor, you know? Oh, the secretary. She's – I wanted to comment on her. I like her a lot. Ethel, the secretary, played by Vivi Janice or Vivi Janice. I don't know much about her either, except that at one point she was the voice of Daisy Duck for Disney. Oh, Really? Yeah. Wow. She did Daisy's voice in one of the shorts. It kind of makes you wonder how she got wrapped up in this. <laughs> how did you go from Daisy Duck to this? <laughs> <laughs> paycheck. It was a paycheck, I imagine. True. True. Yeah. You know, you, you take work where you can get it. But I liked her a lot. Right. I felt like, I don't know, it's not your stereotypical secretary. And part of it was because she was an older character. She wasn't like the young, bubbly secretary. She had right. her own motivations and she was being sneaky and all that. And I liked that. I thought it was kind of refreshing, actually. Yeah. She seemed like she had, they gave her scenes where she was kind of dealing with everybody. So you got to see her have range from playing the, oh, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So we have to get in that room. We have mm-hmm. to get in there now. You know, and that was that was kind of entertaining. It was unfortunate for demise at the at, towards the end of the film, which I thought was pretty shocking, actually. Yeah, I was not expecting that. It's a rough way to go. Yeah, I didn't expect it either, and I don't, I don't know if I want to ruin it or spoil it, but it's 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 pretty intense for a movie from the fifties. I thought, I mean, it's not bloody, but for what happens, like wow, the way they said it, you know, like oh okay, oh nice, she's just walking along. You know, it comes out of nowhere. You don't really expect it. 
Yeah, that, that was one of the, I'd say the, the, the higher points in the film is her death. Mm-hmm. There's a few other parts in the film that were pretty good. One of the more like comical, it wasn't supposed to be comical, but <laughs> when they're kind of introducing a bunch of the characters, how it's, these characters just hanging out on the beach, just watching people. Yeah, there's nobody else in the town but these people, and they're just all <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah, They all just hang out on the beach being suspicious of other people <laughs> walking the beach. So weird. So random. It, it is. It is. And you, you mentioned something about some of the interactions with people. So we have Kent Taylor, you know, Dr. Stevens, the hero, right. and then the local cop, Bill, played by Rodney Bell. I shouldn't, but I love those two guys together. And I would go watch a buddy cop movie with those two characters going off and doing something. Yeah, I mean, they did a good job. They did a great job. The local cop, yeah, he was just like, yeah, all right. Want to mm-hmm. uh, want to go get him? Want to go arrest him? <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. I probably should retire now. It's like, <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah. No, I love those two together. I thought they were a lot of fun. Just this kind of disheveled, a little bit kind of local cop and this high flutin scientist type. Just need to see those yeah. two guys together. And there's one scene where Bill tells Stevens or Ted that, oh, I called Washington about you. Turns out we're working on the same case. That's my favorite interaction between the two. As awkward as it is, that's my favorite scene between those two. He seems so reluctant to want to work with mm-hmm. with the you know the, the lead that everybody is like, well, I guess we're on the same side. Uh, all right, yeah. <laughs> yep. that's, that's another one of those interactions. One of the higher points of the film where you're like, yeah, all right, all right, go get them guys. <laughs> So we were talking about the professor a little bit ago, uh, Dr. King, played by Michael Whalen. You know, we were talking about Ethel having some range. I felt like this guy did, too. And upon a second viewing, you can kind of see some of the subtleties that he worked. <laughs> I'm using words like subtleties describing this movie. Subtleties <laughs> uh, in his performance earlier in the film before we see the turn where he's kind of looking away a little bit and maybe he got oh, right. discovered. And it's interesting. And I, I wonder if that was something he brought, if something that was the director brought up, but it's just a neat little way to add some humanity to this character that you yeah. don't really have a, a finger on or a grasp on until much later in the film. He, like some of the other characters I thought were, and they were, they act, they were, they're really good at acting. They did a mm-hmm. good job of, of portraying the role. I, a lot of it, I think was one of those where the story was just, there was no real substance to it. So yeah. they just kind of had to make do with what they had. Yeah, he kind of reminded me of like like a poor man, Vincent Price, a little bit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, he kind of he had the look. At first, you think he's this sinister guy and he's creating some type of weird turtle creature in his lab. And then, yeah, he have these scenes of compassion. It just seemed like it mattered of what, what the characters were he was interacting with. If, if he was with some characters, mm-hmm. like if he was with the secretary, all of a sudden you saw the, like, the evil, evil old man professor come out. And then if he was with his daughter, he was very, oh, okay, honey, I, I don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe you should go on a date with this young professor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one scene where he's walking down the beach and he just sees the turtle and picks it up and walks away. Yeah, what yeah. was that? <laughs> I don't know. The whole time I thought I was like, why is there some like river turtle just hanging out on the beach? Like what, what's the point of this? What's going on? And then he go, you know, takes it back to his lab and they, I don't even know what he was creating. They never really address it. Like when <laughs> towards the end of the film, when he decides to destroy his lab, you know, so no one would steal his research. 
the turtle thing is laying on the ground, and I love the janitor comes in. And he's like, <laughs> you can't tell me that's one of God's creatures. No, it's the folly of man. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love the janitor's like, eh, all right, I'll clean it up. <laughs> you know, like, it's not a big deal. Like, this guy, this is what he does. He's used to just seeing weird, bizarre stuff. Eh, I work at a university. They're doing all types of weird experiments. <laughs> and then you get them off the broom. You know, like, the janitor, as brief as his role was, he might have been one of my favorite characters. Oh, he's great. He care. Yeah, like, I could see a whole movie done with him, just having to deal with mad scientists and cleaning <laughs> up their messes. The Adventures of Andy the Janitor. I, I love it. <laughs> I'd make a good comic. You should draw that. I should draw that. I should, yeah, Andy the Janitor. <laughs> just all the weird monsters he's got to dispose of. <laughs> you know, that's a character you don't think about in these mad scientist movies, is, is who cleans up the mess afterwards. That's right. I think there are some stories to tell there. Yeah. You figure he's working at a university. His job depends on him. He's got to do a good job. He's got to you know, clean up all those broken bottles and test tubes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just radiation. It's no big deal. Yeah, whatever. And, and that's the thing about this movie, too. Any movie from this era. Oh, it's just radiation. Yeah. Don't touch it, but we can get right up next to it. No big deal. Yeah, no biggie. No biggie at all. Oh, man. This movie is so just kind of loose and in some ways stiff in others. I watched it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. I've watched it three times since we started talking about it. And I love it more every time I watch it. Yeah. You know, I first saw it when I was a kid because it was one of those films where I'd probably just seen The Gill Man. So then I was just like anything that was even remotely within that realm of like aquatic monsters I would just latch on to. And when I, you know, as a kid, I was like, oh, cool, we get to see the monster right away. This is great. And then a few years ago, thank goodness for YouTube. Man, YouTube, they've got all those monster movies that were on late at night that I fell asleep watching. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can now go back and watch in full. And yeah, I watched it a, a few years ago on YouTube. And uh, I was like, okay, all right. And then I watched it last night. So uh, I've seen it a few times, a few times. Yeah, I find myself loving it more and more every time I watch it. And I don't know what that says about me or if it says something about the movie. But, <laughs> I, you know, maybe it's because I'm anticipating just some of the awkwardness and, and starting to revel in it and just love it. It helps that there are some moments or touches of class. The music is by a guy by the name of Ronald Stein. And I'm a film score collector, and I love Ronald Stein's classic monster movie music. He did Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, you know, those style oh, of movies. Okay. I love that music. And so to have his score in this just elevates it a little bit for me. It had a professional polish. I felt like it really, sure. it felt like you were watching a universal monster movie. It just it, it kind of lacked, I think, in some of the areas, obviously probably didn't quite have the budget. I was reading up on it last night and I read somewhere that this was an independent film. And sure. I, I was way more forgiving about it after I, I read that, like, oh, okay. Okay, I mean, I can still pick it apart, but, you know, these guys were operating on, you know, minimal budget. They probably had minimal time to get the shots. I've been fortunate to work on a few kind of like indie projects, and they're so hard to get going. You know, it'd be ridiculous to expect. One independent film I worked on was a bit of a, it was a monster movie. And yeah, you know, like, its product turned out really good was just heck trying to get some of the shots just arranged so that we could get everybody in one location and, and get it filmed. 
So I imagine that, you know, for something like this, they probably had to deal with some of those same type of uh, problems. With any kind of independent project, whether it's a comic or a film or whatever, you are going to run into these things. But you're right. There is a polish to it. Even the underwater cinematography, while it's, again, it's no creature from the Black Lagoon, it's not awful. And it doesn't take you too outside of the story. I did watch it on Blu-ray. You can kind of tell at the end there are some cords or ropes holding the monster down so it doesn't float to the surface but otherwise it, it's not awful cinematography it's got a polish like polish is the best way to put it you, you could have easily gotten the monster lost especially in those underwater scenes you could have easily it's so dark in the water it, you could have easily gotten the monster to just like be this darkly shaded blob and i don't know what they use but, you know, it stood out like a sore thumb when it was on that backdrop, you know, mm-hmm. so your eye went right to it, so especially for those underwater scenes. Like, there was definitely somebody thinking about the composition and, uh, like, what was going to work and what wasn't going to work so you could actually see what was going on. Where, you know, I've seen other films in the past where, man, even you had no idea what was going on because everything was so darkly lit. Um, but with this, you know, there was no problem. You could tell what was on screen at all mm-hmm. times, which sure. was kind of nice. It gave you some great shots of the monster um, where they could have, they could have been, you know, way more ambiguous. So you, you have no idea what you're looking at. You just see some type of creature, something. <laughs> Considering the kind of movie that it is, you do dive right into this monster. You do dive right into the setting. There's a world where there's only like 20 people around anyway, at any given moment, if that, Yeah. but it still all holds together. And I know it gets a lot of bad reviews online. I know it kind of falls into the so bad is good category, but I found myself loving it. And I think I'm going to watch it again in the near future because I just enjoyed it so much. They definitely had like some top notch production people working on it. Mm -hmm. I I think just, just by the execution of like, like you were saying, like how they built the shots and things like that. I think their biggest hindrance was just kind of working with a, a lackluster plot that didn't really know which direction it wanted to right. go. Where I don't think, I don't even really see the point of like, what was the name of the other young guy? He needed to steal the, the doctor's research. They never really addressed like his, his purpose. I mean, he was yeah. working for that one woman. They kind of left her ambiguous. But then when, like, they get arrested and, oh, well, we already got them. Who's he working for? Oh, he's working for her. Well, who's she working for? And they never really get into that. This movie yeah. does seem to struggle a little bit in thinking, is it a monster movie? Is it a Cold War spy movie? Is it both? They, they don't really seem to know where to go. And ultimately, I, I don't know what they ended up with. Yeah, no, it was really, it was kind of weird how they did that. I mean, it was almost like they were like, oh, we need to have your beautiful blonde bombshell. We want to create a scene where... She can be kind of nasty to this, this young man who's doing her dirty work. And we want to also put her in a bathing suit on the beach because she looks good, um, which I wasn't complaining about. I wasn't complaining about it at all. Hey, oh, you know, you, you got to make your, your money somewhere. You got to sell tickets somehow. That's, that's right. That's right. And I did really like that scene, the final interaction between her and her, like, henchmen. He, he finds her on the beach and she's sunbathing. And, you know, she's looking like how you would expect, you know, some, you know, screen queen to be looking as she's sunbathing on the beach. And he walks up and he's like, you know, I'm having a hard time. And she just basically like, you know, she gets nasty with him where it's like, mm-hmm. it's your butt's on the line. You need to get me what I need or you're going to be in trouble, mister. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was a great interaction. It was one of those where you're like, oh, that, that's a pretty good scene right there. There are moments where this movie shines and that's one of them. I like that. Again, it just kind of failed to bring all the scenes together as a as a whole 
even the stock footage didn't feel too out of place for me with the boat there at the end. Yeah, no, no, that wasn't too bad at all. No, it blended just fine. I think there could have been a little bit more of an interaction between the boat's explosion and, say, people on shore. Sure. Instead of just like, you know, they look out the window like, oh, man. <laughs> That's the one time when they weren't out all on the beach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, oh, wow, look at that. And I kept thinking, like, well, if it caused this huge, like, ocean liner to explode, how come everyone was okay, like, just taking their rowboat over the top of this? You know what I mean? Like, nothing happened when you'd row your boat around it. You know, I guess maybe you're just too small. I, it was kind of weird. Don't, don't think too hard about the science here. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's instant science. Don't worry about it. Yes, yes, yes. It. It's 50s monster movie science, so it can be as flexible as we need the story, or that the story needs it to be. I've read some review where someone was kind of ripping up the, the name of the, uh, of the film itself. <laughs> it is it's, it's a little off. Yeah, it's not quite. 10,000 fathoms or leagues, and they're only like maybe 10 feet underwater. Right, yeah. So 10,000 <laughs> leagues is almost three miles or around three miles. They never get that far deep. <laughs> no. No, you can see the surface in every underwater shot almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and even but, the poster you know, itself, you know, you were talking about the woman in the bikini, and there's a woman in a bikini on the poster, but it's yeah. not the woman. I don't think there's a brunette in the film at all. And, no. And the phantom is like this serpentine snake-like thing, not what we see in the film at all. I'm going to be honest. A few years ago, when I watched this movie, I saw the poster, and I was like, you know, because I was late at night, and I was like, oh, I feel like watching a really good monster movie that I haven't seen in a long time. And I came across the poster and was like, oh, I'm going to watch this. Look at this thing. And then I watched the film and I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, they got me. They got me. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. Sure. Well, it's a great looking poster. Yeah. The artwork's really cool. The monster looks awesome. Like you said, it's very serpentine looking. But, you know, that's what you did back That's what they did back then. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of times the posters were created before the film was even made, probably as a, a means to get investors. Mm-hmm. I know that's something that they still do occasionally. In fact, one of my first gigs was I did a few movie posters that were used to try and pitch concepts to producers down in L.A. Oh, really? And, you know, this was a long time ago. And yeah, they're just like indie, you know, small, like, B-horror movies, probably straight to cable or something. A friend of mine was writing a lot of them, so I was lucky enough where he was like, hey, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, it turned out all right. I wouldn't say it's my best work, but uh, <laughs> it was so cool just being involved in that process because it was such a kind of a throwback experience to uh, how I imagine a lot of these older monster movies that I love were made. Now, I'm always reminded of the scene in the 1994 film, Ed Wood, when he goes in to try to get the directing job and he asks the producer, do you have a script? No, but I got a poster. <laughs> right. You know, I can't help but imagine, especially these lower budget films, these indie films, that's exactly what happened. They had a poster, they had a title, they maybe had a tagline, then they tried to make something. It, it still sells me on stuff now. I'll go out and buy novels just because it's got something like, oh, man, look at that cool monster on the cover of that book. I want to read this book. I mean, I'm I'm one of those guys. I'm a cliche. I I judge a book by its cover. That's how I I purchase so much of my media. It's kind of sad because at this point I should know better, but I always get so excited. Wow, look at that monster. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. You were, you were talking about seeing this on YouTube. This movie is in the public domain, so you can yes. see it on YouTube, archive.org. You can find it online. You can find it in a number of discount packs. 
Uh, like I said earlier, I watched it on Blu-ray, and it came out on Blu-ray earlier this year. Kino Lorbo put it out with a commentary track, even. They really treated it well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, how was the commentary? Did they get into like the actual making of the film? You know, the commentary track, it's done by somebody who is involved with the movie Morlocks over at TCM, and he spends a lot of time talking about who these people are and other projects they were involved with to try to... Okay. establish the, the main players and the people who were involved, the cast and crew. Uh, it was actually through that commentary track that I learned that the secretary did the voice for Daisy Duck once. Oh, okay. That's really cool. This is almost like one of those films where I would like to see someone make a movie about the people making this film. Ooh. In my opinion, that would be so cool. Just because you know there had to be some like late night sales pitches. Uh, there was a couple scenes in the film where as they're filming it, like on the beach, you could see the shadows of sure. the cameraman and the director. And I kept thinking, I was like, oh, man, they probably had no time. It was probably just one take. Let's, let's go. Just you walk down the beach and say your lines, and then we got to shoot over to the next scene <laughs> for the day. Yeah, I would like to know more about that. Can he really get into the behind yeah. the scenes? A movie of the making of the movie. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be so much fun. Because I imagine this film was a lot of fun to make. Especially with the monster and sure. uh, oh, yeah. know, the gal in the suit. I mean, I'm sure she's got some serious stories to tell. Yeah, the director didn't do a lot directing wise, so I, I I don't know if there's anything out there on him. His name's Dan Milner, and he directed this okay. film. This was the second film that he directed. The first film was a, a film in the 30s, but he also directed the 1957 film From Hell It Came. Have you seen that one? No. It's about a walking tree possessed by the spirits of some dead thing. Well, it sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> Ronald Stein music again, so it's pretty cool there. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's not a bad film. I kind of dig it. How did the tree monster look? Was it pretty cool? It looks okay. The poster looks more impressive than the actual effect. Oh, of course. Of course yeah. it did, right? <laughs> I could see that movie being pretty awesome now. Like, if you were to come to me like, oh, we got this thing, this tree's possessed and it's killing people, I think there's some people that would go see that. Like a whole environmental angle to the film. Hey, there you go. Yeah. There you go. It'd be really good. At least make a comic out of it, right? I'm yeah. sure there's a comic someplace with uh, a tree that's ripping people in half or something. Do not litter. <laughs> a cool little PSA featuring a monster tree. Monster tree. There you go. Maybe attacking some loggers or something. There you go. Well, you could turn the Phantom from 10,000 Leagues into an anti-sea pollution movie, you know, with the monster and the radiation down there and all that, right? Oh, yeah. Especially nowadays, you know, mm -hmm. you got that, like, uh, the giant, wasn't the plastic island out in the Pacific. Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to update the monster maybe a little bit. Uh, <laughs> make think? it a little more, <laughs> a, little, a little more quick moving. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, I could see this movie getting a rebirth. You hear us, Hollywood? We want a remake of The Phantom from 10,000 Leagues. What is wrong <laughs> with us, Tad? What is wrong? I don't know. I don't know. Out of all the things that are being remade, you know what? Hey, they're remaking everything these days. Why, Why not? not? Come on, I'm sure Zack Snyder could make it look awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> it could be a lot of slow motion, but he could make it look pretty cool. The movie would be like two and a half hours long. and CGI all over the place. In a very muted color palette. That's right. It would be a lot of grays. A lot yep. of grays. Yep. Yeah, maybe instead of taking place down in you know, Miami, it could take place up in like Alaska or even uh, Seattle You know, during like March. So it's just raining every day. <laughs> you know, it makes the monster seem very uh, gritty. You know, we're laughing about it, but let's be honest. We'd go see that opening day, right? Oh, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd be there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, what? They're making a 
to make a, a sea monster movie? He's never happened. Sign <laughs> me up. Yeah. Exactly. As much as I, I like some of the newer movies that are coming out these days, I find myself not having nearly the attachment to them as I do with the older films. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's just because it's, it's their suit actors and stuff, but I find myself more impressed with those films, uh, the older stuff. Just maybe it's because I know that they have limited resources to work with. Uh, where now it seems like, you know, you can do whatever, you, they can do whatever they want. It's CGI. For me, I've noticed that as I get older, I get even more and more appreciative of the older films because I do recognize even more how hard it was to make something. I mean, you're an artist. I'm yeah. a writer. I'm a podcaster. It's hard work to create. And, when you don't have all the tools that you're used to now, trying to make a movie back then, I just can't help but imagine how hard it would have been and how fulfilling it is for us now to be able to go back and watch those movies knowing how hard they had it. The same as I have this conversation with a few artist friends of mine all the time, like in comics. I mean, we have Photoshop, Google search. Oh my gosh, you can look up any, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I need reference for this. How do I draw a mammoth? How do I draw... You know, I need to draw this certain building in New York City, and I need reference for it. You, you know, pop into Google, and you got a million images of it. Where back in the old days, they didn't have that. So it was like these guys who cut up magazines, and they would just have thousands and thousands of file cabinets full of reference material that was all just pages that they tore out of old newspapers because, you know, there was a picture in there that they had to have because they might be able to use it 10 years down the road. It's just crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Where now, you know, like you don't have to do that. You know, your your life is way easier. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I imagine it's the same with film. I, there's mm-hmm. oh, so many sure. different things. I mean, movies, whether they're good or not, nowadays they always look good. Sometimes CGI looks a little cartoony, but there's always like effects that make it just look so polished. Where you're like, wow, that's that's impressive. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive looking. But see the fans of getting the, the, the CGI treatment. A little, a little yeah. extra love. Yeah, a little extra love. It could use it, a little tender love and care. It, it could use a little bit. And maybe flesh out the story a little bit more in terms of who that guy's working for and what the heck is going on. But, you know, in the meantime, until that remake happens, if it ever does, you can go watch it now. Pretty easy to get your hands on. And I, I got to tell you, Todd, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I've had a great time. Thanks for having me, man. This is fantastic. Yeah, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. We'll definitely have you on the down the line again, especially if any of the projects you told me off mic, off the record happen. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> get ready, people. Get ready. There's yeah. some cool stuff to talk about. But in the meantime, you've got a webcomic over at your website, tadgalusha.com. I do have a webcomic. It's called The Backwoods. I started it quite a few years ago. I just get so busy. At the time, I was working as a, like a comic book apprentice. So guys would hire me to be an assistant on all these different projects. And I got so heavily booked that I just had no time. And then about a year ago, a friend of mine was like, you know, you should really start up your webcomic again. So, yeah, my wife, she got it rolling, got, got it started back up, updated the website. So now the, the Backwoods is uh, steadily moving forward uh, every week. If people have never been to it, the premise is about a werewolf and his dog. And then just kind of chaos ensues. He gets abducted by aliens and they don't know that he's a werewolf, and then he transforms into a werewolf. And you can imagine what would happen then, while the whole time the dog, who's 
kind of probably a little bit smarter than the main character, Ulysses. She's kind of running around, saving the day, but he, he's kind of taking the credit, so to speak. Like if Rin Tin Tin had some sass, you know, and was just like, <laughs> oh, all right, I'll save you. Yeah, the whole thing kind of spawned from like, you know, at the time, Twilight was in full gear. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry if people are big fans of Twilight. I was not. It just went against everything I grew up loving about werewolves and vampires. And so it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to try and get back to the roots of what werewolves and monsters are supposed to be. But, you know, I really like stuff that's humorous, so I kind of tried to add as much humor as possible. Yeah, I've always loved the idea of having your main character either be the monster or be an animal, something where it doesn't really emote through language. It's all done through body language. I, I just find it's more expressive and you can you can get a lot of humor out of it. And uh, it seems like, yeah, people are really enjoying it. I'm really lucky that people are getting a kick out of it. I've updated every Monday. And right now, I think if people tune in, I've got a fight between Ulysses, who's in full werewolf mode, and he's throwing down with a Sasquatch. On occasion, we established earlier in the series, um, likes to raid his garbage cans at night. Yeah, they're having kind of a rematch of earlier in the story. <laughs> nice. Nice. It's a fun webcomic. I enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this chapter will be wrapping up here in a couple weeks. Then we're going to start in on chapter two. And chapter two is going to be just bigger, better. We've got Hitler. Hitler makes a, a comeback <laughs> so to, in the body of a, a beaver. And so he raids his... He, he, he raises the his his Reich again, uh, and the our characters all have to kind of deal with Hitler and his minions. Uh, of course, you know it's all, they're all beavers. So yeah, Beaver Hitler, and uh, you know we some other surprises. The main character's love interest she uh, has more of a, a featured role in the story, and uh, there might be some other things that are coming out of the spaceship, so to speak. But you just have to tune it. People just have to check it out. I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, well, don't don't spoil. Don't give too much away. Yeah, I think listeners are going to want to check it out. And like I said at the beginning, like I've been telling people, I met you at Rose City Comic Con. You have any shows coming up? Not really. I um, I'm so booked up with stuff that I just decided, you know what? I'm gonna just wait till the next Rose City, and uh, by then I will have a whole bunch of new stuff to show people, and I should have a bunch of new books. So if people want to come can visit me i can hopefully uh sell them something that's cool or give them something that's cool <laughs> well i know i'll see you at the next rose city comic con because i'm certainly planning on going again that's, that's my favorite you can probably count on me picking up another you know, thing or two if you have a gill man I'm, I'm there oh definitely definitely no problem i will make sure i have a gill man <laughs> i've been kind of playing around with the idea of doing some type of gill man poster but showing like the stages of life. Like you remember those biology charts? Oh yeah. Yeah. I kept thinking like, Oh, it'd be so cool to do something like that with a gill man where he kind of starts off and like he's an egg and then he's like some type of tadpole form. And then you kind of see him mutate into to the life stages into what he looks like now. I mean, the gill man we all love and appreciate. 
And I thought that would be just so cool to do because I've never seen anybody do that. I've never seen it. So kind of, you know, working on That's one of my big illustrations that I plan on doing this summer. That sounds awesome. Of course, listeners can find you over at your website uh, where your webcomic is and a store where you can buy some of your prints. $20 a pop. I mean, that's, that's a deal. That's a bargain. It's a steal. It, it really is. People. It really <laughs> is. And you've got Prince of the Gilman that I have. So if listeners want to be cool like me and own their own Ted Kalusha creature from a Black Lagoon print, <laughs> that's where they can go. They can go buy it there. We should be updating the store here in the next couple of months. There's a bunch of stuff that's going in there. There'll be some, some monster prints. Uh, we have some dinosaur prints in the works. I'm also working on some promotional stuff for the backwoods. I'm a big fan of like old school pro wrestling. And, uh, <laughs> so I'm trying to do a backwoods, like a wrestling match, old school poster style, you know, where they'd have like, you know, they'd have been, like the, the marquee at the top would have all the, you know, sure. It'd have all the names listed in the dates and their weights and, you know, you'd have like a big picture of Andre the Giant or something. So we yeah, something similar to that. And that should be going up probably next month. I can't wait to see it. Please keep me posted. I mean, I follow you on Facebook, so I'm sure I'll see it, but I cannot wait to see oh, it. Oh, yeah. I will I'll definitely hook you up with a copy. No problem. Ooh, you hear that, listeners? Podcasting yeah. gives you, gets, you, gets you stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, Tad. Thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. Best of luck with the upcoming artwork and the upcoming comics. I can't wait to see what's coming next. I really can't. This is, this is good Thank stuff, you. man. Listeners, check his stuff out. Yes, come check out my stuff and keep listening to this podcast because it's the best on the web. See, and that's why I wanted Tad on the show. That's the only reason. That's all you have to do is tell people that I'm the best that's right. and you're on. That's it. If you want to be cool, you got to be a monster kid. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> I, I listen to you every week. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I've got a few podcasts that I recommend, and yours is right there at the top. Thanks, Tad. Thank you. You can get to his website a tad too much at his name, tadgalusha.com. That's T-A-D-D-G-A-L-U-S-H-A.com. Or like I said, there will be a link in the show notes. Over here, you're going to be able to check out his portfolio, check out the webcomic that he's working on called The Backwoods, and you can also order prints directly from his website as well. And if you do check him out, let him know that you heard him here on Monster Kid Radio. I had a good time talking with Tad, and I'm sure we'll have him back on the show down the line again in the future. What is the eerie secret behind the seven faces of Dr. Lau? Do they come from another world, or are they just one mysterious being? unusual pictures are made, you may be sure George Powell will make them. His War of the Worlds, Time Machine, and Destination Moon are now joined by the strange and fascinating adventures of Dr. Lau and his amazing companions. You wish your future told? How do you do? The name is Merlin. I am the greatest magician the world has ever known. Hi there. Do I look familiar to you? What in the world is a Medusa? A Medusa, dear heart, is a creature with uh, snakes on her head. And uh, if you look at her face, you turn to stone. I'll show her! 
Oriental Hocus Pocus is going on around here. I, sir, am a major mystery. Out of nowhere he came. A mysterious stranger. And for those he opposed or defended, life was never again the same. This town ain't big enough for you and me, partner. A magician, surely. But one who made his magic with such things as love's young dream. And the fun in a little boy's heart. Here truly is entertainment for all ages. I was born in the year 1204. I am 7,322 years old. I'm eight going on nine. Here is the mysterious beauty of the Far East and the roaring action of the Far West. The thrill spectacle of the city that never was and the most fabulous fish story in history. A genuine bona fide sea serpent. In the water, he is small, insignificant, petite. But out of the water, and he doubles his size every ten seconds until he reaches his full growth. Just imagine a sea monster who can't stand the water. How about that? Oh, oh, I got him! Oh, I got him! (laughs) That's showbiz! C-3PO, Loki, Mace Windu, Dr. Bruce Banner, Captain Rex, Venom, Princess Leia, Jean Grey, Darth Maul, Nick Fury, Grand Moff Tarkin, Captain America, Lando Calrissian, Cyclops. What do all these characters have in common? Well, two of them were played by Samuel L. Jackson. A couple of them were played by Hammer Films veterans Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Come on, guys. You know this. Well, of course we do, Jessica. Just like Mickey Mouse and Captain Jack Sparrow, they're all now Disney characters. Hello, I'm Tracy of the Disney Indiana Podcast, and my co-host Scott and I enjoy talking about all aspects of the House of Mouse, and that includes their newest properties, Marvel and LucasArts. We also talk about Disney resorts, the cruise line, theme parks, and whatever else Mickey has to offer. Which includes movies, Imagineering, video games, and collectibles. You'll never know what we'll decide to talk about. So check us out at www.disneyindiana.com or do a search for the Disney Indiana Podcast on iTunes. Because now we've got a lot more to talk about. And don't forget about those other quote-unquote Disney characters like, well, Sully. Fozzie Bear. Buzz Lightyear. Link Hogthrob. Doug. Janice. Merida. Pepe. Bruce. Ralph the Dog. Wally. The Disney Indiana Podcast. Even after five years, we're still miles away from the nearest Main Street, USA. We're not listed on the map, but you can join us at www.disneyindiana.com. Twins of Evil and Hands of the Ripper. Double Evil Shock Hits with the most fearsome females in horror history. Twice the spine-chilling, heart-stopping terror. Ah! Twins of Evil and Hands of the Ripper. Rated R under 17, not admitted without peril. 
So about a week and a half ago, I got some voicemails, and while I sat on them, for what will become a pretty obvious reason, here's the first one. Hey, Derek. Steve Sullivan here. thought I'd call and talk about a couple of the recent podcasts. First up, Gorgo with Tony Wendell. I was so happy to hear Tony say, Dai Kaiju, because Dai means giant, and Dai Kaiju is giant monster, rather than just Kaiju, which is what everyone shortens it to in terms of Gorgo. Uh, Gorgo is, of course, a giant rubber suit monster, and for me, yeah, he qualifies, absolutely, just the same as, as Zion Gary did. You know, I know that there are a lot of people who think it has to be Japanese, but I, I'm not going to go that direction. If you're a, a giant rubber suit monster, then you get to be a Dai Kaiju, so good on you guys. I wanted to mention a couple of things that, being a little older than you, you might not remember. One is the volcano out of nowhere thing. I seem to remember when I was a kid back in the early 1960s that one of the things that kept cropping up on the news from time to time were volcanoes seemingly appearing out of nowhere. They didn't really know about plate tectonics. That was still a very controversial theory at the time. And so the understanding of how the Earth's plates worked was not nearly so good. And there would be newsreels of volcanoes kind of suddenly appearing out of the sea and growing into islands, and people didn't really know how it worked. And, you know, why not off the coast of Ireland if you're seeing that? I also remember reading a story when I was a kid about a a farming kid in Mexico who saw this little smoking hole in the ground one day out in his farm field, and then over a very short period of time, it grew into a huge volcano. I'm not sure exactly when that took place, but I remember being very aware of that kind of stuff when I was a little kid. Another thing that occurred to me is that the uh, the captain going to deal with the natives, that's really kind of a throwback to the, the days of Captain Cook and that kind of stuff, where the captain is a the chief diplomat on the boat, and I, you see that as well in Star Trek. So it, it never struck me as being really, really crazy. I know that nowadays you wouldn't do that, probably, but it's kind of a cool thing. My friend Tracy Hickman, when he ran a Star Trek campaign uh, based on the original series, you know, role-playing game campaign, one of the rules was that if you were sending anyone into the danger, the captain had to go with them, which worked really well in terms of the game and replicated the feel of the original Star Trek. Anyway, you guys talked about the Gorgo comic. Gorgo is one of the, if not the first comic I ever remember buying. The one I bought, I looked it up, it's Gorgo number 18 with a cover date of, oh gosh, May 1964 it looks like. And the cool thing is there is a site online called Comic Book Plus that has various uploads and and pictures of all of the old Gorgo comics. Well, maybe not all of them. And you can go in and look at every page from a lot of those books. It's really cool, and it's free, and they're out of copyright, so it's even legal. So that's that's really cool, and uh, those people that want to check it out, yes, there are the reprint books that uh, Craig Yo and company put out with the Ditko ones, but the other ones are up online where you can see them too at Comic Book Plus. You guys talked a little bit about the design of the Gorgo suit, and I honestly think the Gorgo suit is one of the best giant monster suits of all time, period. I love it. I love the fins on the head. I love the teeth. I love the glaring eyes, and it's got that really, really great famous monsters, I think Basil Gogos cover as well. It's just a wonderful thing. And, hey, more power to them. You know, maybe they could have made sequels, but I'm glad they didn't because it's just a perfect story. 
story as it is. You know, I know you can nitpick a lot of stuff to death, but it's it's still a very cool giant monster story, and it's it's a nice combination of King Kong and Godzilla, and it works really well, and the monsters get a happy ending. Who doesn't like that? Anyway, that's it for me for now. I'll call you again soon with some other stuff about some other shows. Anyway, take care. Talk to you soon. All right, there's a few things to unpack from that voicemail. Uh, first of all, comicbookplus.com. I was not familiar with this website until Steve called that in. It's definitely something I'm going to spend some time looking at, especially if it is truly public domain and things that have fallen out of copyright. If the Gorgo comics are in there, I'm looking forward to reading those and checking those out. The other thing that I wanted to comment on is he made a comment about the volcanoes and the age difference and what we thought about plate tectonics and how volcanoes worked and all that. You know, that's one of the things that I love about watching these older movies and talking about them. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. One of the coolest things about classic movies, period, whether they're genre films, dramas, film noir, comedy, it doesn't matter. One of the coolest things about watching classic cinema is that, in a way, they are a documentary. If you look past the story, if you look at what's going on in the background, the things that are affecting the plot, where the characters come from, you can have a little bit of a time travel experience. These movies are time machines, sometimes literally in the case of the movie The Time Machine, but sometimes these movies are time machines. You can go back and see what culture was like, the mores, what was important, what wasn't important, the roles of the genders, and it's just fascinating. And in this case, we're talking about volcanology and science. So there's so much about these movies to learn from as well as enjoy. And yeah, the monster design of Gorgo, very, very cool. Now, Steve called in again, so here we go. Hey, Derek, Steve Sullivan calling again to talk about episode 260, The Gorgon with Joshua Kennedy. I am so glad you guys did the show. I love The Gorgon. I really think it's one of uh, the most wonderful of Hammer's films, and it's really criminally underrated. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that People nowadays look at the, the special effects of the Gorgon and they're just not crazy about it. But come on, guys. You've got to take into account the times whenever you watch an old movie. You have to say that they're doing the best they can with what they've got. And really, it's amazing how well a lot of old films did with the kind of what we call primitive technology of the time. And honestly, I prefer the Gorgon with its practical effects, even if they might be slightly cheesy, to the newer remake of Clash of the Titans with all the CGI, and it's just like, huh, CGI, big deal. You can do anything with CGI. How much more clever is it to come up with something that's really cool and looks nifty with old-style practical effects? And you guys mentioned the Harryhausen Medusa which is, of course, the pinnacle of all that. But it's also worth mentioning that there is a Medusa in the Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, or Dr. Lo, depending upon which way you want to pronounce it, depending upon who says it in the film. Anyway, there's a Medusa in that played by Tony Randall in drag, which is really, really good as well. So, you know, they didn't have an awards-winning makeup artist on the Gorgon, the way they did on Seven Faces Dr. Lowe, but they still did really, really well, and I, I think it's it's kind of marvelous. It's also interesting that you guys went from the Gorgon 
uh, to Gorgo, or rather the other way around, from Gorgo, named after the Gorgon, to the Gorgon itself, which is really, really kind of cool. And I enjoyed that that little connection. And it's also interesting, as you said, that there aren't a lot of stories or features featuring the Gorgon as a monster. And I'm really looking forward to Night of the Gorgon, uh, which is, I think, what Joshua was calling his. Can't wait to see that. Really looking forward to it. The only other Gorgon thing that springs to mind off the top of my head is uh, my friend Didi, who does work on an erotic online series. They had a, a Gorgon as one of the characters in one of their early episodes of The Stone Sorceress. So for those of you that are adults, you might want to check that out. Anyway, that's about all I got uh, glad you did this film. Oh, I wanted to say Hands of the River. I've seen that film a couple of times, and I keep forgetting. It's not one of my favorites, but I'm sure you'll let us know what you think of it when you get to it. And, yeah, I can see that you can kind of tie the two stories together in a way. So, anyway, enjoy it when you get to it. It's great talking to you again. Looking forward to the next show. Oh, wait, I'm on the next show. So I'm looking for. I know what's in that one. I'm looking forward to whatever's in the show after that. So that's it from here. Steve Sullivan signing off. Joshua Kennedy's movie is The Night of Medusa. I think at one point he told me it was going to be called The Night of the Gorgon, but, you know, whatever. The Night of Medusa. It's a great movie. I've seen a screener of it. I can't wait for it to come out. He does have a deal set up with oldies.com, so it will be coming out on DVD pretty inexpensively here very soon. And, yeah, I intentionally did the Gorgon after Gorgo just because I thought I was being clever. Um, <laughs> Hands of the Ripper. I did check it out. I did watch it. And you know what? I liked it a lot. Now, did I like it as much as the Gorgon? Not really. I do think the Gorgon is an underrated gem. People need to see this monster movie, this Hammer film. Terrence Fisher directed Masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. It's a gorgeous film. And, you know, I cannot disagree with you regarding the special effects when it comes to how the Medusa character, the Gorgon, is portrayed in the Gorgon. I guess it's not Medusa, but in the Gorgon with the physical effects of that snake headed thing. I mean, it's just gorgeous, even though it's a little cheesy, even though you can kind of see how it operates. It doesn't matter. You are so caught up in the story and the way it's revealed to the audience. I, I, I love it. I just love it. And yeah, of course, the Harryhausen in Clash of the Titans. I mean, that is the pinnacle. You mentioned the seven faces of Dr. Lau. You know, I have not seen that. I thought I did, but I haven't seen it. And the reason I hadn't seen it yet is because when I got around to watching it, a friend of mine, somebody who's been on the show before, Tom Beagler, mentioned wanting to talk about it on Monster Kid Radio at some point. And that just hasn't happened. Tom Bigler hasn't been on the show in quite a while. I need to get him back on. And yeah, I would love to talk about The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau at some point. I know it's probably not the most politically correct film, but... Again, it goes back to the whole when the movie came out, what was society like, what was the culture like, what was acceptable, what wasn't, what really wasn't acceptable, but they did anyway, that sort of thing. So again, that'll be interesting to see on that level. One more comment about the Medusa-type character, the Gorgon. There's another movie out there from 1963, and I'm thinking I'm going to cover this one here on the show at some point. It's called, well, it's got a couple of different names, Perseus Against the Monsters. Medusa against the son of Hercules, something in Italian that I don't think I'm going to be able to pronounce. It stars Richard Harrison. It's a peplum film, a sword and the sorcery film. It's directed by Alberto Di Martino, and there is a Medusa in it. However, this Medusa is not a humanoid 
Medusa. This is something a bit even more monstrous. Yes, it's turning people into stone, but it's only got one eye and all these tentacles flapping around. It's pretty darn cool. I haven't talked about sword and sorcery films here on the show. However, this one's got a dragon. It's got the Medusa. It's got a lot of fantasy elements. I think it is something that's going to come up on Monster Kid Radio, and not just because it's a movie that's owned by the film company that I do some work for, Dorado Films. We've actually been talking a little bit about doing something with this movie in the future, so if that happens, I'll probably do something to coordinate the release of the podcast covering that film with whatever we're going to do at Dorado with this movie, Medusa Against the Son of Hercules. You know, even though it's owned by Dorado, you can find it in some of those bare-bones Mill Creek sets. It's also on YouTube. However, Keep in mind that just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean it's in the public domain. It just means the copyright holder has not been able to get it removed from YouTube yet. And really, it's not that easy to even do that. I'm actually over a week out from a form that I submitted for another copyright issue for another one of the movies owned by Dorado Films and First Line Films. But that's going into public domain copyright geekery, which I can get into for hours. But that's not why you're here. You're here to talk about monsters. Steve, thank you for calling in. And yeah... This voicemail did come in the week before Steve actually appeared on the show, so that's why I sat on it until now. And if you get the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, you'll see that I've already announced that Steve's going to be on a future episode of Monster Kid Radio this month. The end of the month, we are going to announce the ballot for the second annual Monster Rally Retro Awards. We're going to honor the best actor, actress, director, movie, and monster of 1932, 42, and 52. I'm talking to Steve about joining me at the end of this month to announce the ballot and go over that. I think that'll be fun. Besides, it was kind of his idea to lump more than one year together when we do the awards. So it's only fitting, right? Now, if you want to call us and leave a voicemail like Steve did, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you want to email us like Diana did at the top of the show, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. This is available over at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you can learn everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes, find this contact information, as well as links to our Facebook group and our Facebook page, a link to every single song that's appeared here on the show in the past. You can find links to their Bandcamp pages or Facebook pages. Bottom line is you can track down every one of the bands and let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio, and maybe even buy their album because it's all good stuff. And the aforementioned Monster Kid Radio Gazette, you can subscribe to that over at our website as well. It's over on the right-hand side beneath the head of Rondo Hatton. And speaking of Rondo Hatton, it is still technically Rondo season. Voting closes this Sunday, April 10th. If you have not filled out your ballot for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Film Awards, well, you know what to do. Go to rondoaward.com. Check out the ballot. Follow the instructions. It's real easy. You just email your selections, and you don't even have to make a selection in each category. I've been following the Rondos for at least as long as I've been podcasting, which has been since 2008, I think. Wow. I think podcaster years are actually different than human. You know, it doesn't matter. I've been following the Rondos forever. I love what they do. I love what they represent. I'm honored that Monster Kid Radio is nominated for another Rondo this year in Category 17. And I love seeing all of my friends on the ballot in the various categories as well. And I love discovering new stuff. Thanks to this ballot, I discovered Bloke's Terrible Tomb of Terror, which is an indie comic book. It's an anthology-style book. Feels like a 1970s horror comic. It's by Jason Crawley, and it's awesome. So the Rondos, man, 
Very important. And if you haven't already nominated somebody for the Monster Kid Hall of Fame, might I suggest Vince Rotolo from the B-Movie cast, Ron Adams from the Monster Bash conventions, and then Victoria Price, the daughter of Vincent Price. RondoAward.com. Don't forget to vote. Next week on Monster Kid Radio. I said earlier I've been podcasting since 2008. Well, the guy that's going to be on next week has been podcasting since 2006. And he's somebody who's very important to me as a podcaster. His name's Freddie Morris. He is the main man behind the podcast Night of the Living Podcast over at notlp.com, as well as a couple of other URLs, one of which comes up in their conversation next week while we're talking about the movie The Invisible Man. Right up to the top of his head, all round his ears. Flora's worried about Griffin. I had a terrible feeling last night. I felt he was in desperate trouble. He meddled in things men should leave alone. Not the slightest clue. That's where the clues are. He wasn't leaving anything to chance. There must be a way back. God knows there's a way back. Are you doing help? Only if you leave me alone. It's the stranger with the goggles. He's gone mad. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. <laughs> Let me be a madness when you're peering through the keyholes and peeping through the curtains. And now you'll suffer for it. But why? I do it, Griffin. Just a scientific experiment at first. To do something no other man in the world had done. Suddenly I realized the power I held. The power to rule. To make the world grovel at my feet. You know who the Invisible Man is, Doctor. Where is Dr. Griffin? What's the good of concealing it? Oh, come and stay with us. Let's fight this thing out together. Police, quickly. The Invisible Man is in my house. He's mad. He's killed a man tonight. Believe me, as surely as the moon will set and the sun will rise, I shall kill you tomorrow night. The secret of invisibility lies there in my books. Don't you see what it means? Power. Power to walk into the gold vaults of the nations, into the secrets of kings, into the holy of holies. squealing in terror at the touch of my little invisible finger. Even the moon's frightened of me. The whole world's frightened to death. I lay traps that even an invisible man can't pass. The station's now. Watch the wall. Help! Help! He's here! He's here! <laughs> here we go gathering nuts and may on a cold and frosty morning. Yeah, we're going back to another bonafide classic. James Whale directed incredible special effects. Now, as much as they were then, it's a fun film. It's a fun conversation. It only took me like 200 plus episodes to get him on the show. He's actually somebody that I emailed before launching Monster Kid Radio to ask about appearing on the podcast. And you know what? It's on me that we never really got it done. And it's finally happened. So stay tuned, stay subscribed, keep listening through Stitcher or however it is you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Keep it up because that's what's coming up next week. Also this month, I've got a roundtable scheduled about one of my favorite kaiju films. We're going to be talking about the movie Rodan. This roundtable is going to feature me and three other guests, two of which have been on the show before, Tony Wendell and Stephen D. Sullivan. The other member of the roundtable, Rondo Award-nominated artist and fellow podcaster, Mark Maddox. 
In fact, in this year's Rondo Awards, two horror magazine covers are nominated for Best Magazine Cover. He did the artwork for Horror Hound number 52 and my personal favorite, Mad Scientist number 30. It's a cover featuring Rodan. So that's going to be coming up as well. And then, of course, the announcement of the ballot for the rallies. And then in May, if you're reading the Gazette, you know what's happening. Lucha de Mayo. That's all I'm going to say for now. Stay tuned to MonsterKidRadio.net for more information if you didn't already get the newsletter. All right. I think that's it. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 Unported License. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song that opened the show, Squad Car Surfbound Hava Nagila. It's from the band The Wave Chargers. You can find them at thewavechargers.bandcamp.com. They say it's a free download over there, but you can still throw them a couple of bucks. They're based out of Paris, France, and if you go over to their Facebook page, you can see they've got some shows coming up later this month. So whether you're actually able to go to the show or you check them out on Facebook or just buy the album from Bandcamp, let them know that you heard them here first on Monster Kid Radio. Talk to everybody next week. (laughs) 